0: Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute.
1: Here at the Open Data Institute, and I'm one part of a team of three who run the Open Data Challenge series, who are the people behind today's Open Data Innovations for Social good. Um, So today we're going to bring you three stories of, hopefully, some innovations that are achieving or will certainly in the future achieve um, some social impact. And all of those have come about because of a particular challenge series, um, which some of you may have been introduced to at a previous lunchtime lecture. But if you haven't, um, then I'm going to give you a quick whistle-stop to it. And pleasingly, since the last lecture we did, we have a 45-second animation that does that job very well for me. So um, you won't have to listen to me for too much longer. But today we have a hashtag, two hashtags. In fact, one which is ODCS for the Challenge Series and the other which is ODI Fridays, um, which those of you who come along regularly will know all about. We don't have any fire um, incidents planned, so if you hear the alarm, then do make your way to the exit. Um, Our Twitter handle, just in case you want to follow us because you are inspired to participate in one of our future challenges that I'll tell you about at the end, is OD Challenges. We are running... Seven challenges, each of which follows this particular process. So, we start off with a really high level theme, which I'll introduce you to in just a second. We work down to to focusing on a specific challenge question, which I'll also explain. Um, And then we invite people to share their ideas, their product ideas that respond to those challenge questions using open data. Once they have responded, we then select a certain number of those teams to come along to the creation weekend, where we select three finalists. And those finalists will win £5,000 of seed funding and also some incubation support. At that point, and over those two and a half months, those three projects will hopefully flourish um, and certainly become what you will see today. And then, at the end of the whole process, one team will go on to win £40,000. And those are the teams from whom you're hearing today. So, as I mentioned, there have been some very high-level themes. There are three that you'll hear from today. Crime and justice, education and energy and environment. There are two more that are live at the moment, housing and food, and I'll explain a little bit more about those at the end of the session. But without further ado, I want to get on to the the meat of the sandwich, as it were, um, to the people themselves who are going to tell you about the innovations that they've got underway. So the question that we posed for the Crime and Justice Challenge was thus. How can open data increase community involvement with the criminal justice system? Or how can open data create further evidence for what are... Effective interventions for rehabilitation? Or finally, how can open data address the rise in personal crime? So we had different teams responding to different elements of that question. As you can see, it was quite specific. Um, but after the process that I've already described, we came out with one overall winner. And that winner was John B- Moss and Check That Bike. Um, so I will hand over the microphone uh, to John himself, who's going to talk to you about the journey.
2: Alright, so my idea is um check that bike. Um... The challenge that we sought to address was the rise in personal crime. So, hopefully that will work. Yeah. Um, so we we chose bike theft as a personal crime. Um, I'm personally experienced it. Many cyclists have. Um, so around 500,000 bikes are stolen every year from the UK, which sort of amounts to one over a billion pounds in sort of across the board lost um, taxpayer money. Um, The problem is so bad that the average new bike owner just loses their bike after 23 months. So you buy a bike, it's gone. Pretty much. Bad investment, really. Um, Victims often feel that the police don't do anything. They they report to the police um, and and they get fobbed off so they don't bother the next time. So that leads to only one in four thefts actually getting reported to the police. Bike theft is one of the biggest reasons for giving up cycling. Cycling has many benefits. Um, Health, um, it's good for the road network. Good for the person that's actually riding. Um, it's just good all round. Um, victims often told by the, they're, they're often told by the police that they're not going to get their bike back. You know, it's very negative. Um, they're told to look for themselves. We're not interested, effectively. So, how do we address this? There we go. So, how do we how do we plan to solve that problem? Um, like many many industries, thefts are driven by a demand and also by profit. So so what we sought to do was address how fees make a profit, which is through the sale of stolen goods. Um, So what we do is we operate a service much like HPI Checks in Cars, where you type in a unique number that's stamped into all bikes, by default by the manufacturers, um, and we give you a yes or no answer to the question, is this bike stolen? Simple. we also offer extra advice in case the frame number wasn't recorded by the person who had their bike stolen. Um, and we looked at, into it, and the Netherlands actually took a similar approach in 2009. And within three years, their bike theft's halved. So our impact so far, we we, we launched straight after January, after the OD Challenge finished for us. Um, 17,000 visitors have come to the site, which is Generated 6,000 checks. <coughs> we've identified 653 stolen bikes, um, and assuming they were all recovered, which is an assumption, um, we recovered property worth £174,000 and indirectly benefited the UK by £1.3 million. Um, the new pub- we've developed an API as well, so it's not just us using the data that we have, um, and that's used by 29 developers in the UK and worldwide. Um, We also have sought to do an initiative where we're asking the police for this data, and that's been supported by 5,500 cyclists in the form of a petition. The future. Right, so we've got this service running. It's working now. Feel free to go to the website and mash the keyboard, if you like, and use the service. Um, We need more data, though. Uh, The police have been very um, unresponsive, if you like, in providing our, our data, so we're working with a solicitor to apply the Freedom of Information Laws to get that from them, i.e. if they won't give it to us, we'll make them. Um, we, we're seeking to integrate with other services, so you've got classified websites like Gumtree, you know, put it in front of the, the people themselves and, and get them using it as well. Um, one, one of the services we just integrate with a, a new classified and they've already generated 7,000 new checks. Uh, get more people checking bikes with the check that bike um, this is where we're spending most of our grant money and that's through marketing and getting people in, into the people's heads that buying stolen goods is not an acceptable thing to do um, the term um, it fell off the back of a lorry probably predates days lorries and even wheels um, so so what we're trying to do is you know, say that's wrong, you're going to get caught don't bother buying stolen goods um, and that's it. Quickly run through. <laughs> thank
1: Super, thank you, John. And um, I should have said, for those of you who are new to lunchtime lectures, the, uh, the structure is that we should have about 20 minutes of input um, and then 20 minutes for opportunities for questions from the floor. So um, do keep those burning questions to hand so that we can uh, capture those and uh, hear responses from the, the various different teams at the end of the session. So I'm going to move swiftly on to the second challenge, uh, which kicked off a little later, Um, and uh, that was focused on the broad theme of education. And the specific question that we posed was this. Uh, How can open data help parents to make informed choices about their children's education in one or more of three key areas? So we focused people on expressing a preference for a school, choosing a subject or other learning priorities, or engaging with their children's learning more broadly. So we had... A whole host of different responses to this. I think we uh, hopefully uh, fired up a nascent community of people who hadn't started using open data within the edtech space already. And um, we had a real range of competitors. Um, and the, the overall winner was in fact a team uh, of uh, which came from an organisation that already existed, um, but who created a product especially for this particular challenge. Um, and that team was SkillsRoot. So I'm going to hand over to Steve Preston to tell us a little bit about their journey.
0: Thanks, Brian. Okay, so as an organisation, so as Brian says, we're an existing organisation, we focus on education data, this is kind of what we did, so a client of ours sent us the link to this challenge and we thought, well this is perfect for us, let's think about how we can apply what we already know to a new set of challenges. The big thing about us is that our work is with uh, schools and local authorities predominantly, this challenge was about parents, how can we help parents and young people, so it was great for us to think of different ways of using our, our data. So what did we do to think about how to use the data we already know? Well, we thought about what problems do we know? So as well as using open data to produce a solution, we also thought how can we use open data to evidence the problem. Um, We particularly wanted to focus on post-16. It's something we we know very well. A few facts. 150,000 AS grades are fails each year. So this is about 12% of all um, AS exams sat, so phenomenally high proportion. 40,000 children drop out of year 12, so before the traditional end of Post-16 education and 19% of 16 to 24 year olds were unemployed. So the data is telling us there's a challenge to be to be tackled. So what we did as a part, as a process of the, of the challenge process, if you like, is we wanted to evidence this further. A lot of this work we did after the challenge weekend. So we were obviously one of the three finalists. After that weekend, we wanted to really evidence there was a demand for what we were trying to solve. And uh, we had we spoke to parents, we spoke to young people. Uh, We spoke to schools, we also looked at statutory guidance and uh, what schools needed to do, and really evidenced the fact that the careers advice and choice, particularly around post-16, so after you've finished GCSEs, what are my options, where should I go next? We had a lot of evidence there was a demand for this type of solution. We also um, tested it out with some schools, so we tested schools route, and this is me standing behind this kid here, and I'm desperately trying to not grab the mouse and go, no, do it this way, do it this way. Um, so, this is obviously a really useful experience with, with young kids to say, is this a tool that they're going to find useful as well? So, what was SkillsRoute? Well, firstly, you enter some simple information. So, you put in your postcode, your expected average GCSE grade. So, this is your example, average of C grade. Uh, whether you're looking at an A level route or vocational route, and, and ideally the subjects that you're looking to do. From that, and this is where the open data really kicks in, it tells you in your local area, the providers that offer the subjects that you're interested in, and also your projected average grade post-16. So in this instance, the, the person in question has got a C grade GCSE average. At the Brit School, we've chosen that as an example, they're projected to get an E in English Lit, a D in History, uh, and a D in Media. And you can compare that to lots of other schools on the same map to identify actually there's other places where I might do well. Equally, I could change my options and find the Brit School does great things for me in other, in other subjects. From that, and that's what that's what our focus was at the start, but through this challenge, we really learnt about lots of other data around uh, higher education stuff and also around careers. So with that information, we could then say, well, what options do I have post um, sixth form studies? Goes on to tell me, well, these are some subjects I might be able to study at university, and the, the UCAS points, I'd need to get into those. Um, and then also information around careers. So again, we need to map together subjects and the sorts of careers um, that are available to to young people and again with these instances you can see information like their starting salary uh, and the salary that they might be able to achieve uh, when they're a little older than that. So the big thing for us about going through this process is yes we knew education really well but as we got feedback from the people we spoke to we realised we can do more, we can look at other sources of open data around higher education and careers and really going through the process of the, the, the whole challenge uh, was great for us to really push us in new directions and learn more about the, the open data that's available. Um, so what happens next? Um, so what we're going to do is, although we've already done our kind of prototype, we actually want to rebuild it, because we want to really focus, we, we built it from what we thought would be good, but we want to start from working with young people and say how would they, what were the decisions they would go through, and rebuild it from their point of view. Um, so therefore we were going to redesign the site, we use something uh, called Tableau Public to build our existing site, we want to rebuild it in a much more sustainable way. Um, Then in around six months' time, once we've we've done that, we're going to pilot with schools and two local authorities, so one of the big things for us about this project was demonstrating this could be a sustainable product, so we've got a lot of interest from schools already who, who hopefully will pay for some of the advanced features. And then after that, uh, the money we're, we've won from, from the process of this challenge, we're going to use on promoting this to hopefully get a, a wider reach as possible in terms of the impact both from parents, young people, and also from schools as well.
1: So that brings us on to our final challenge, which is energy and environment. So the third challenge in the series of seven. Now, this is the most recent one, so recent, in fact, that the winner hasn't been announced until today. Um, so the big news is even more important to people outside of this room, perhaps, for the, than, the, than those of you who have followed the challenge or not. But nonetheless, exciting time. So the challenge we set, how can open data support communities to by their energy and save money, undertake community-based energy efficiency interventions, or to start to generate their own energy? No mean feat. Um, So we had three finalists in this particular challenge, and I'll take a moment to spend a little more time, as it is such an occasion, um, to explain that the three finalists were Energy Benchmarking Plus, um, who run a a platform called Locatable and are dabbling in the world of energy uh, benchmarking, Community Energy Manager, and Energy Schools. Three very different propositions, which those of you who came along to our previous uh, lunchtime lecture would have learnt a lot more about. I'm not going to spend time going through them today, but I would encourage you there's a great blog that you can read, or you can always listen to the sound file, which are available on iTunes, um, to learn more about those. So, we uh, put some fairly punishing judging criteria together, which uh, stretch across all of our challenges. So, we were looking for an innovation which was going to be innovative, uh, you're glad to hear. Uh, hopefully has some kind of societal impact in relation to the challenge problem or the challenge question that we've posed, Um, and by that we mean obviously social, environmental or economic, that they have used open data extensively through their solution um, and that it has been effectively incorporated into the project, Um, and there's also bonus points there if they are generating additional new open data through the process that they are following. And then finally, we were looking for something that was going to be sustainable. So this project is funded by TSB and BIS, and ultimately they're looking for examples of how open data can be used to generate sustainable and uh, really useful examples of uh, business impact, social impact and environmental impact. So, Without further ado, uh, the winner was selected by the judges. I asked them for some feedback this morning just to uh, get a sense of exactly why this team were picked. Um, And the first thing they said was, because it's a really innovative idea. Um, And actually, across the field of the 15 teams we had at the creation weekend, there was a lot of similarity um, between some of the different teams. So it was nice to see something that was different. Not only was it innovative, it was also trying to respond to a very, very challenging issue, and that is to get people to to take up retrofit as part of the the solution. Um, And most importantly... They are also looking to democratise engagement across the community, so really making sure that everybody has a voice in terms of which energy-saving interventions they engage with. Um, And and finally, that it's a scalable project, so one which isn't just going to uh, apply to a single street or a particular community of X hundred people, but in fact that it's something that could be scaled up to uh, support a whole town. Um, So, as I say, without further ado, the winner is Community Energy Manager. Thank you for indulging me, um, and uh, so without, without further ado, I'll hand over to you guys to, to tell everybody a little bit more about exactly what this proposition is.
3: Thanks, Bernie. Hello, everyone. Um, what we're we doing to, to oh, space we can just do the arrows. The arrows, okay. Uh, yeah. So, community energy manager. Uh, the aim is to help uh, community groups uh, do large-scale retrofit uh, projects and help them become viable social enterprises. Um, there's lots of money out there for retrofit at the moment, there's the energy company obligation, there's the green deal uh, which is starting to get going. Um, but because of the practicalities of trying to deal with individual householders, um, most of that uh, subsidised funding goes towards social housing and council housing. Uh, however, four in five people live in um, private housing, rented or owned. So. of people are missing out um, on a lot of uh, potential retrofit funding. Um, Also, with community groups, there's a lot of people who are trying to help their areas uh, become more sustainable, um, have warmer homes, uh, and reduce carbon emissions. Um, But there's a lack of business models for them to uh, generate income and employ staff, so it's all very voluntary at the moment. Uh, So our solution is an online tool which will help Community groups deliver at scale in their area uh, over a defined timescale, um, yeah, you know, within a smaller area, and have a single point of contact uh, for the funders who are paying for this retrofit. Uh, so uh, I'm just going to hand
4: over to Mark. Mike nice here, microphone. <laughs> um, so. Uh, so what we have is a, uh, is a database uh, and relationships manager for a community group uh, when they're going out and they're engaging um, their, their households. It allows them to store and, and build up that data. Um, how does open data fit into it? Well, open data is really the, the foundation that the, the rest of the information gathering is, is built on. Um, so for a, for a group looking across um, a ward, um, it can identify the areas of, of greatest need, whether that's high uh, solid wall properties um, or sort of high energy efficiency or off, grad, off gas grid areas. Um, then the groups can log their interactions through uh, surveys and going out and, and, and doing that engagement and talking to people. Um, And they can sort of structure that engagement as well through the sort of survey and task manager tools. Um, And then off the back of having got that information, um, they're then at a starting point where they can say, well, okay, um, actually, maybe there's a project here through the Green Deal provider that's looking for um, 500 houses that need new boilers. Um, we know who they are now or we have a pretty good idea and we can target um, those particular streets and we can help sort of make that happen and and deliver this for our area. Um, And then Community Energy Manager um, sort of helps to broker those relationships between funders, between installers um, so acts as a little bit of a a conduit um, that previously perhaps didn't exist uh, for, for funders and installers through to this um, group of, of people um, and the community group receives referral fees and we receive uh, a cut of, of those referral fees um, the groups I mentioned have uh, uh, this, this sort of platform which helps them structure a, a project and we've seen with things like um, solar PV installations that once a group once there's a sort of idea out there of a process that a group can pick up and adopt and run with that works, um, then they're more keen to share that, they're more keen to, uh, to take that up and, and implement it. Um, so we're setting out a bit of a framework to clearly define some goals, um, set up the sort of stages of information and then track um, the project progress um, as you go through that. Um, and the impact we're hoping from that, more projects happening, more energy efficiency, um, delivered more uh, demand and, contr- uh, and confidence in the retrofit market for the private sector and a more trusted um, and sort of empowered role for community groups who want to step up and, and pay that function. Um, and, uh, yeah, more knowledge and, and capacity at the community group level uh, to build on that data. So the way this works, the business model,
3: is um, installers and funders um, often pay referral fees to people to give them the... Warmly, the, the ref- referral for the householder to get the insulation. Uh, so, we'll because we're facilitating that, we'll take a small cut uh, for our running costs. There's also potential for bulk purchasing, so we'll be going out and talking to retailers uh, who do insulation or solar panels. Uh, and we can say, if okay, if you get uh, a thousand solar panels uh, in an area, then we'll give you a 25% discount and we'll take a slice of that for our um, running costs as well. Uh, and potentially we can help funders actually manage uh, the um, the projects that they support community groups with. So there's often a lot of administration work going on, uh, which is you know quite costly to them. Uh, and there, there's going to be some open data coming out of this. We're not sure exactly what there's going to be yet, but we want to work with researchers uh, to help them uh, interact with community groups and do some interesting research on uh, community energy. Uh, so in conclusion we think this idea has a uh, high measurable impact. We're going to be monitoring everything as it goes forward so we'll be able to report on how many jobs are created, how much CO2 is saved, how many, um, how many people have had uh, insulation. We really feel we're developing a new market here and helping community groups share knowledge, uh, and most importantly, we think we've got a financially s- sustainable model uh, to go forward with. Uh, so next steps, very quickly. Um, at the moment, what you've seen is, is pretty much all there is on the front end. Um, so we're gonna develop that software to kind of launch stage. Uh, in the meantime, we're gonna engage with community groups, get them on board to do a pilot, and, and hopefully um, carry that on and grow those, um, grow the, those numbers. Uh, And also we're going to be talking to uh, Green Deal providers, insulation installers, um, solar panel um, installers, uh, and see if we can get some deals with them to actually deliver these projects. So thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.